morning, everyone. Who would have thought this time last year, we thought that all this pandemic business was nearly done and dusted. Little did we know that 12 months hence, we would be in a situation where we were waiting for some sort of solution with an even greater sense of drawn out uncertainty. Powerless waiting is very much a part of our lives and a part that we're very conscious of at the moment. And Father, I just ask that the words I believe you've given me to say on this subject this morning might be useful and helpful to all of us who listen. In Jesus' name. How many hours in our lives do you reckon we spend at traffic lights and electric hand dryers? Electric hand dryers are the worst. If something's meant to be instant, why isn't it instant? Why, why does it take those few seconds? It all started, I think, in the 50s or the 60s with Deb, instant mashed potato. Since then, our expectation of things that um, will reduce the time and effort we have to put everything has, into everything has just mushroomed. And instead of it giving us more time to be more relaxed, peaceful people, it's just turned us into a breed of more anxious, um, fast-paced, demanding people than our grandparents ever were. With the exception of a few annoying intersections, I cope better with traffic lights, another device which slows down my pace. I get particularly irritated when I come up and the orange light just turns orange, not giving me quite enough time to sneak through before it's red and I have to wait for the right turn arrow. Um, I have to wait for the entire sequence before I can go through on the right turn arrow again. But I have come to acknowledge that there was wisdom in the urban planners planning this sequence of light changes that caused me to have to wait. Without it, there would be chaos. None of us would get through a busy intersection safely. And so reminding myself of the wisdom in the planning and the time that it takes does help me to have a better attitude and to treat the waiting time more graciously, sometimes. The book of James reminds us to learn from the farmer who waits for the good fruit of the earth until the early and later rains come. The whole process of planting a seed, waiting for growth to maturity, and the cycle of the planets and moons orbiting around each other with split-second split regularity, in turn creating cycles of seasons and tides. All these natural processes are part of God's textbook, teaching us that waiting for the right time is what he has built into the universe to make order out of chaos for the good of everyone. The natural order illustrates the spiritual truths we're meant to live by, 
Jesus' parables show us that. And although Jesus um, performed the odd miracle where the time factor for a healing or the stilling of a storm seemed to be taken out of consideration, he wasn't rewriting the textbook. He was just showing that he has power even over these um, incontrovertible things that God has built into the universe. Some things, like the seasons, we know how long we have to wait, and that's predictable. But for many things, the waiting period is unpredictable and inexplicably to us long. We may become discouraged or irritable. Nature, scripture, and our own daily experience all show us that the reality of having to wait is a part of life we just have to accept. The question is, how do we wait? The ideal expected answer, of course, is patiently. The very word patient, though, is often used to refer to someone who is suffering an illness or some condition that's been thrust upon them without their wanting it. We, ha we have to endure many things like sickness, bereavement, injustice, accidents, natural disasters, persecution, things that we're not longing for and have prayed for, but things that are part of life that we don't want. The Bible encourages us to learn to wait well, whatever it is that we are actively waiting for because we want or because we have to endure it. James begins his letter with these words. Be happy when you have all kinds of tests. You know these prove your faith. It helps you not to give up. Learn how to wait well so you will be strong and complete and in need of nothing. I'm sure we've all heard the advice, never pray for patience. There's only one way God can answer that prayer. And it's not usually by delivering patience in a neat parcel into our soul by the next express delivery from heaven. Developing the patience that we need to endure the things that we have to wait for and, and endure in life, developing that patience in itself is a process that requires time. Patience is a fruit. Fruit develops over time. Like a muscle, the more frequently and the more intensely we use it, the stronger that muscle will become. To wait with an active belief that the waiting periods are not random, but actually designed or orchestrated by our Father, a God of wisdom, order, faithfulness and love, who has promised that, he, that everything will work together for our good. To, to wait with that kind of attitude takes faith. But as we allow that attitude to become more and more a part of our mind, it will develop our faith and develop our patience. Faith and patience are bedfellows. In practice, though, 
What do we actually do while we're waiting with this faith? When a farmer plants a seed, the way he waits is not to disappear and come back in six months hoping to harvest apples. At the traffic lights, if my mind slips into la-la land and I miss my cue and don't move off when the light turns green, I miss out and I get tooted from behind. On the other hand, the farmer knows that as he waits to facilitate growth, he must fertilise regularly water, perhaps even prune and shape, and wait for the warmth of the sun and the seasonal rain. That's when he'll get a good crop. But if he rushes in and force feeds with extra fertiliser or harvests too early, he'll wreck it. Similarly, at the lights, if I overplay my part and lose patience and drive off too soon before the sequence is, is complete, disaster will be the result. There's a balance we must strike between neglecting what we can and must do, but without rushing in and doing more than is required. Striking that balance is, in whatever sphere we, we have to deal with, is the way to receive the perfect outcome. Even so, we may find the waiting tedious. The Bible encourages us in Galatians, do not let yourselves get tired of doing good. If we do not give up, we will get what is coming to us at the right time. And in Hebrews, you must be willing to wait without giving up. After you have done what God requires you to do, and that might be taking some very practical steps, or it may be just waiting, waiting, waiting with nothing you can do. He, but after that time, he will give you what he has promised. There's a word of caution we need to note from the Psalms. It says, wait for the Lord and wait and keep to his way. He wants our obedience and our trust. In order to speed things up a little bit, there's no room for manipulation, conniving, having a quiet word in the right ear, nagging, pulling in favours, or any other way of doing it my way. We simply must wait for God to do what God wants to do. Consider the way we pray. The Bible tells us over and over that God hears our prayer and works everything for our very best. As we wait, we can rest in that fact. So Jesus' command to pray without ceasing is not a suggestion that we pray frantically to somehow twist God's arm into more rapid action. But prayer rather, praying without ceasing is rather continually bringing ourselves into God's presence to remind ourselves that God has heard us, God has it under control, 
and to replace our flared-up anxiety with a renewal of the peace that he can give us. There's no doubt that the most difficult part of waiting is the fact that for many things we reach a stage of having done everything that is humanly right and possible to do, but the fulfilment is simply out of our hands. We cannot control the actions or responses of other people any more than we can control natural disasters, sickness, or the world economy, or God himself. Sarah, the wife of Abraham, about whom we read in Genesis 18 this morning, is a woman who had to wait a long time for a promised child. We can learn a lot about waiting patiently from the account of her life, not because she waited 60 years with a serene smile and heavenly glow on her face, but because she was very human, just like us. She got it wrong sometimes, just like we do. We know so little about her from the biblical account. We hear her referred to, but only see or hear her in action four times. And three of those times paint less than a glowing picture. Yet the writer of Hebrews singles her out as a heroine of faith in these words taken from chapter 11. Sarah too had faith. And because of this, she was able to become the mother, become a mother in spite of her old age. For she realized that God, who gave her his promise, would certainly do what he said. Sarah wasn't born with this realization. It grew within her over many difficult years. It wasn't her personal baby-making giftedness and effort that brought about God's purpose for her life and the nation to be born from her, but God's faithfulness to do what he promised when his time was right, in spite of the humans he had to do it through. Sarah was 10 years younger than her husband Abraham. About 45 odd years into the marriage, when Abraham was 75 and Sarah 65, they still had no children. But God appeared to Abraham, called him to leave his father's home, go to an as yet undisclosed destination, and God would give him many descendants. Sarah, of course, was part of this package. Many more childless years passed during which time God spoke to Abraham on three more occasions, repeating the promise. On the fourth occasion, when Abraham was 80 and Sarah 70, Abraham pointed out to God that all the wealth God had given him was of no avail because he had no heir to pass it on to. God reassured him he would have an heir from his own body and his own household. I wonder how Sarah felt she figured in all of this. We don't know because we're not told. I suspect she had a faith in God which she shared with her husband, 
But after such a long period of painful waiting, I wonder if a bit of disillusionment and disappointment had crept in. Was she sort of tailgating behind her husband's face? I don't know because the Bible doesn't spell it out, but it's not an uncommon feeling, is it? Have you ever been in a situation where perhaps as a new Christian or even as a struggling Christian, when things are really not going well in life for you, that you feel discouraged. Things just don't seem to be working out the way you thought they might. And you find yourself re relying on the faith and possibly the prayers of others to keep you going. Somehow you may have felt that you yourself have slipped under God's radar, that you need somebody else to prop you up, bring you to his attention. We all have tough times, and it's the role of each of us to support each other in such times. It can take quite a long time to move from that feeling of struggling to a place of confidence in God for ourselves. Even in this, don't give up. Be patient even in your uncertainty and in your wobbly faith. Jesus promised all who seek him would find him. He will fulfill what he has promised. I suspect Sarah developed a sense of personal inadequacy because after 60 years of baby-making activity, when she was 75 and Abram 85, she threw up her hands and said, you might as well have Hagar, my maid, as your um, as your wife, she, she'll be able to give you a child. I suppose it was like IVF without the test tube. She probably thought that having a surrogate mother for the child, for Abraham, would allow her to play mother. That's how she would get a child. That's how Abraham would have lots of descendants. Wrong. What a disaster this unleashed. Remember, wait for the Lord and keep to his way. We now see two women at their worst. As soon as Hagar is pregnant, she gloats over Sarah, making her life a misery. Sarah hadn't seen that one coming, so she threw Hagar out. A pregnant woman alone into the desert. Hagar definitely was not part of God's plan for Abraham and Sarah, but God is utterly impartial. He rescued Hagar and sent her back, not to gloat, but to be submissive to her mistress, Sarah. Poor Abraham, saddled with these two warring women. I bet you could have cut the atmosphere with a knife when they were all together. Hagar's baby, Ishmael, was born when Abraham was 86, and Abraham loved that boy. But Sarah did not get to play mummy. This less than cosy relationship lasted for 13 years. Poor Sarah. 
Our hearts ache for your protracted agony of childlessness. Your experience, though, is teaching us what happens when we don't wait for the Lord and keep to his way. When we jump God's gun and create an Ishmael, we bring unnecessary disaster upon ourselves and our situation. In his mercy, God gave Ishmael a future. He made him the father of 12 tribes, the forebears of today's Arabic nations who still trace their ancestry back to Abraham. Ishmael himself was not only a thorn in Sarah's side, but his descendants have been at loggerheads with the Jews, the children of Isaac, the child of promise, through Sarah for over 5,000 years. God doesn't want our conniving or our resort to other solutions. He wants our trust. We don't ultimately thwart God's plans. We just make it difficult, more difficult for ourselves and for others. No doubt Sarah lived to rue her actions. We often have to face a stiff learning curve as a result of our actions. God doesn't give up on us, but he does correct us. When Ishmael was 13, God appeared again to Abraham and specified that he would yet have a child through Sarah, who was now 89. I reckon not even Jane Fonda will look much good at 89. And then the incident we read in Genesis 18. Abraham was visited by three men, apparently angels. Maybe one of them was the Lord himself. This time, Sarah was not visibly present, but hiding, wanting to hear what was said. Perhaps this time, she wanted to know for herself, in her own heart, how, if at all, she figured in all of this. Don't we all sometimes just long to hear from God for ourselves, not just third hand from someone else? To hear God speak into the very core of our being? When Sarah heard them say that she herself would have a child the following year, she laughed and was heard. Our secrets are never hidden from God. She was asked, why did you laugh? It's not that God didn't know why she laughed, he knew, but he wanted to point, his, point out to Sarah that he knew the very core of her being. Sometimes if God puts his finger on something in our lives, do we, like Sarah, deny it, excuse it, try to rationalize it? I wondered why Sarah laughed. Was it a cynical laugh? Was she doubting God's ability to do it? I think God's response to her tells us God said to her, is anything too difficult for God? I believe her cynicism was not disbelief in what God could do, but whether she mattered much anymore. 
After now probably 70 years of trying, Sarah had still faced, failed to produce a child. Her body was now clapped out. In human terms, it was impossible. She'd probably given up, given, given up going to coffee with the girls. She didn't have children or grandchildren to boast about like they did. What good was she? But this was Sarah's time to really come to understand who she was in God's eyes and to understand her role in God's purposes. It was not her baby-making ability that was valued, but the fact of her waiting on the Lord, even though she made mistakes in that waiting. A handmaiden doesn't set the master's agenda. She simply exists in the real world to fill the master's wishes. Of course, a good master will see to it that her personal needs are also cared for. Sarah probably hadn't really seen herself as a handmaiden to the Lord, waiting on his good pleasure, but God saw her that way and he was about to bless her mightily. Let's look at Hebrews 11, 11 again. Sarah too had faith, and because of this, she was able to become a mother in spite of her old age, for she realized that God who gave her his promise would certainly do what he said. We may well wonder what the point of our lives is. It may certainly seem to be turning out very differently from what we envisaged when we signed up. But God knows the point of our lives. He's more than able to fulfill our human longings and his greater purpose for how we fit into his bigger plans or see us through the hardships thrust upon us. Sarah and Abraham would still have a part to play, but now was God's time to breathe life into what had been up till this point futile human effort. Sarah had the baby, Isaac, a year later as promised. She may have wished she could have had him 70 years earlier to fulfill a human longing, but how humbling and what a blessing to realize in the end that the delay in fulfilling her human longing was allowing her to be a part of God's greater plan. And more than that, that perhaps even the tentative journey of her faith from limited certainty to unshakable evidence of God's power and faithfulness in spite of her frailty was not just to be a blessing to herself, but to all the very human uh, women like her who would read about her and talk about her in women's church 5,000 years later. We all have times when we feel we're just hanging loose, purposeless, the progress towards things we long for just going round in circles or non-existent progress at all. As always, whatever the question, the answer is the same. Sarah heard from God for herself. 
so must we. Pour out all your requests, longings, anxieties and issues to God. Read his word and then be still and quiet. Let him distill into you his perspectives. Allow God time to let his peace subdue your turmoil. It may take many periods of sitting like this with God, but he will give you his peace and your perspective will change and you will begin to recognise evidence of his activity in your life. My son Stuart used to leave little Lego men balanced precariously on unlikely edges of things around the home. I would come across one in a bizarre spot and think, Stu's been here. So it is with God. Often, little unexpected things that may signify nothing to, something, to someone else may serve as a reminder to you that God's been here. He is on my case. The reminder of his presence will encourage you. You may well need to go to God time and time again, not to remind God, because he has promised that he will perfect what concerns us. He hasn't forgotten your prayer, but to remind and train ourselves how to actually walk and patiently and confidently in the certainty of his faithfulness to fulfill his promises because of his amazing love for each of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and the truth of your word, the unshakable truth of your word and the unshakable nature of your faithfulness. We thank you for people like Sarah, human like us, who didn't always get it right. But Lord, you were faithful to her and we know that you will be and you are already faithful to us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.